Well, good morning, everyone. Um, you're very brave to have a Welshman preaching this morning. I promise I won't um, mention that again to you. That's not on my slides, guys. Maybe you can switch to my slides, that would be good. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're hungry and we're thirsty for your presence this morning. We know that anything else apart from the power of your Holy Spirit working in our lives is just a performance, it's just a sham, it's just duty, and it's dull. And we're fed up of that religiosity. And so we pray that you'd come and meet us afresh this morning and that you breathe your Holy Spirit on us. And as we look once again at your cross this morning and not all that you did for us, that you'd breathe new life into us and that you'd set us on fire for you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, when you're visiting a church and you're asked to preach, uh, the conversation several weeks beforehand goes something like this uh, with Simon Harris in this case. Uh, Simon, so uh, what would you like me to preach on? To which his answer was, well, anything you like. Okay. So are you in the middle of a series then? Yeah, I'm in the middle of a series then. Oh, that's fine. So what's the, what would you, you know, in that series, what would you like me to preach on? And he said, well, the verse for that day is, if anyone wants to be a disciple of mine, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. Oh, well, you can't be serious. <laughs> you can't be serious. You're going to leave that one uh, to me. You know, can you think of something else? Can you give me another verse that you can preach on? What do I know about denying myself, picking up my cross, and following Jesus? And I was quite serious as I asked that question. And, and Simon said back to me, well, I did wonder about that, he said, but I'm sure as you've traveled around the world, you might have found a few people who know what that is all about, and maybe you can talk about them. So we will do a little bit that, about that um, in a little while. But what a verse to be uh, preaching on this morning. If anyone would follow me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Over the last two weeks, we've seen how the cross of Jesus Christ impacts everything and changes everything. Last week, Simon took us to the foot of the cross and asked us how close we dare go to watch the agony and the pain that speaks so powerfully and so accurately of God's love for us as individuals and the lengths he was prepared to go to to rescue us. At the cross, we stop and gaze once again this morning and think about what it means to walk in the shadow of the cross. What it means to walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ in the shadow of all that was achieved on the cross. And so we stop and gaze just a moment this morning at the Saviour who became nothing to rescue us. We stop and gaze once again this morning at the Jesus who gave his life so that we might have life in all its fullness. We stop and gaze again this morning at the Lamb of God who gave his life for us, for you and for me. 
and we ask ourselves, what is to be our response? How are we to walk in the shadow of mercy and grace and forgiveness and salvation and suffering and glory? That's our question for this morning. How are we to walk in the light of the cross? Pope Francis this, morning, this week celebrated his first Mass with the cardinals after his election as Pope with these words. When we walk without the cross and when we preach about Christ without the cross, we are not disciples of Jesus. We are mundane. We are bishops, priests, cardinals, popes, but we are not disciples of Jesus. And I'm sure we'd all say amen to that. And so at the heart of our discipleship, at the heart of our daily walk with Jesus, at the heart of our Christian life is the cross of Christ. And in our passage this morning, we read the words Jesus gave to his disciples as they gathered around him. The context here is that Jesus had just predicted for the first time that he would suffer, be rejected, and be killed. And the disciples were shocked. And then he says to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And so at the heart of our discipleship, at the heart of walking in the shadow of the cross, is this command by Jesus to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow him. But what does it mean? What did he mean? It's quite a radical command, isn't it? But what did he mean? And how do we do this in the shadow of the cross? Jesus calls us on a journey to follow him, doesn't he? A journey to come closer to him, to walk in intimate fellowship with him, a journey in which Jesus asks us to deny ourselves, a journey where he asks us to lose ourselves, a journey where he asks us to take up our cross daily. And it's a walk that begins with worship. When we walk in the shadow of the cross, our first response has to be worship. Romans 12, 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In view of God's mercy demonstrated ultimately on the cross, our response is to be one of worship. And what is that worship? It is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. It's a worship that goes beyond music. It's a worship that goes beyond sacred songs and solos. It's a worship that goes beyond multimedia, planning centers, PowerPoints and videos. It's a worship that goes beyond the church doors and out into the community. It's a worship that goes beyond an internal good feeling. It's a worship that goes beyond mere words and feelings and emotions. It's a worship that costs us. It's a worship that demands of us. It's a worship that gives our all. It's a worship that is a living sacrifice offered freely to God because He has freely given His all for us. It's a worship that takes up our cross daily. And that worship begins with a proper understanding of God's mercy, a proper understanding of the depth of God's love for us, the depth of our own depravity and sin, and the depth of God's forgiveness. 
And so we pause at the foot of the cross again this morning. We pause and gaze for a moment at Jesus. We pause and we ask Jesus to give us a deeper understanding of the depth of his mercy and his love and his grace towards us. We pause and we see the true extent of mercy. We pause and we see the true extent of forgiveness. We pause and we see the true extent of salvation. We see the true extent of victory over death. We see the true extent of suffering and glory. And we cry out, Jesus, we love you. We worship you. Thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. And once again I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Once again I thank you. Once again I pour my Once again I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. And so when we walk in the shadow of the cross, we worship. And part of that worship is to take up our cross daily. Now when I talk to people about what it means to take up their cross, they'll often talk about a burden that they're carrying. Maybe it's a health burden. Maybe it's a family relationship that they're carrying. Maybe it's something deep and personal that they're dealing with. But I think Jesus meant much more than that, you know. To walk in the shadow of the cross... To worship in the shadow of the cross is to give him our everything. It's to give him our all. The sacrifice for our sins is once and all completed. It's finished. It's dealt with. Hallelujah. We cannot add one jot to it. That is not what this is about. Rather, it's about the fact that Jesus gave his all for us and he calls us to give our all for him, our whole lives for him. It is about being prepared to count the cost and to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. I heard a story this week of a missionary couple um, working in Colombia, Gildario and his wife, Nell. Gildario was an evangelist working in one of the hardest parts of Colombia where missionaries were facing death threats and where the good news of Jesus was not welcome. Gildario and his wife, Nell, had prayed for several years about holding an outreach in their local town. And after much planning and praying, they... uh, the day came for the event to be held in the town square. Many thousands of people turned up to listen to the gospel preached by Gildario, and many hundreds of people gave their lives to Christ. After the event, Gildario and his wife went back to their house to celebrate all that God had done that evening and all his blessings on their life. As they were celebrating and praying, there was a knock at the door which Gildario went to answer. Moments later, Nell heard two shots and screaming. 
and ran to the door to see her husband lying on the floor in a pool of blood with two bullet wounds to his head. Outside the door were three armed youths who shouted to Nell, this is what happens if you preach your untruths in Colombia. Nell leaned over Gildario and saw that he was still alive. And they managed to get him into the back, onto the back of a motorbike and take him to the local hospital. When they got to the hospital, things were not looking good for Gildario. And he looked Nell in the eyes and said, Nell, you know, I love you. I love you so much. But I'm ready to go and be with Jesus. Moments later, he passed away. Nell was distraught and angry with God. God, I've given my life for you. I've come and lived amongst these people and sacrificed myself for you. And look at what you do to me. You've taken my husband from me. How can you do this to me? She cried and wept for days. She cried out to God, asking why he had done this. And then she opened her Bible to read it for the first time in many, many days. This was the verse that she read in John 12, verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and it dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. That Sunday, Nell went to their church, and on the door was a sign which read, the gospel must not be preached here, or you know what will happen. Nell got up that day and preached the gospel to the congregation and continues to do so to this day when many believers have been added to the church and where the church continues to grow. And so as I've reflected on these passages and this story and what Jesus meant, I've started asking myself some hard questions. What is it costing me to follow Jesus? Is it costing me my family? Is it costing me my reputation? Is it costing me my finances? Is it costing me my friends? Is it even costing me those little luxuries or treats that I tell myself I need because I'm worth it? Is it costing me anything at all? Jesus gave his life so that we might have life. And he calls us to give our lives as a daily offering of service to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So as we walk in the shadow of the cross, we worship. But as we walk in the shadow of the cross, we also become more self-aware. It is at the foot of the cross that we find out who we truly are. And in our walk of discipleship, this is fundamental. The cross revolutionizes our attitude to ourselves as well as to God. So the community of the cross, in addition to being a community of worship, is a community of self-understanding. We ask that then, who are we then? And how should we think of ourselves? The pressures of our age drive us to always be comparing ourselves with others to want to live up to the standards of the constant bombardment of advertising and constantly need to perform. I guess part of our problem is summed up by that great theologian, Madonna, who in an extremely self-aware interview with Vogue magazine said this, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre that is always pushing me 
I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. The cross of Christ reminds those of us who struggle with low self-esteem, who are constantly comparing ourselves to others and who need consistently to perform, that God loves us so deeply, so deeply, that he was prepared to sacrifice his own son to die for us, that we might have life abundantly now and forever. The cross of Christ reminds us of the price that was paid for us and speaks to the fact that in Christ we find out who we really are. The moment we believe, God says, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Or take Romans 8.1, which says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As Neil Anderson of Freedom in Christ Ministry puts it, in Christ I am accepted. I am God's child. I'm a friend of Jesus. I've been justified. I'm united with Him and I'm one with Him in spirit. I've been bought with a price. I'm a member of His body. I'm chosen and adopted. I've been redeemed and forgiven. I'm complete in Christ. I have access to the throne of grace through Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm secure. I'm free from condemnation. God works for my good in all circumstances. God will complete His work in me. I am born of God. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm significant. I've been chosen to bear fruit. I'm God's workmanship. I'm being built into God's temple. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. Hallelujah. Do you think more lowly of yourself than you ought? Are you burdened constantly with self-doubt? At the cross, we find security. At the cross, we find acceptance. At the cross, we find significance. God loves us for who we are. Let that go down deep into us today. The cross tells us that he loves us when we fail. He loves us when we screw up. He loves us even though he knows all about us. And nothing can ever change that. This is the message of the cross. But there's another message at the cross as well. Here we're reminded not only to think here we're reminded not to think more highly of ourselves either. As self-love is as bad as self-doubt. Instead, we're to think of ourselves with sober judgment. As Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 1, do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value... Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death 
even death on a cross. And so the cross of Christ reminds us of our sinfulness and our fallen nature as well. And the need to walk this journey of discipleship with humility. As C.S. Lewis once said, the thing I would remember from meeting a truly godly, gospel, humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in me. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Maybe this is what Jesus meant when he told us to deny ourselves. You see, denying yourself is not just about denying ourselves luxuries such as chocolates, cakes, cigarettes, and cocktails, though it may include that. It is renouncing our right to our own way. As John Stott says, to deny ourselves is to turn away from the idolatry of self-centeredness, which says that it's all about me. You see, life, after all, is not about me. This is so countercultural, so upside down, so topsy-turvy. You know, one of our favorite games to play in our house is the game of life. I'm rather good at it, even if I say so myself. In that game, it is all about me. I go to school or not. I go to university or not. I get married or not. I stay married or not. I get rich or not. I get sick or not. I have children or not. I have a good career or not. I die. But Jesus maps out a different way. Deny yourself, he says. No, Jesus says, if you want to walk in the shadow of the cross, then you need to discover the art of denying yourself. Self-denial says, I am free. I am free to be who God made me to be. It is not about me and about my performance, because God loves me anyway. The verdict is in, I am a child of God, made in his image, and now I perform on the basis of that verdict, because he loves me and he accepts me. I do not have to do things just to build up my CV. I do not have to do things to make me look good. I can do things for the joy of doing them. I can help people just to help people, not so I can feel better about myself, not so I can fill up the emptiness, because it's not about me. Tim Keller says this in his great book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. It is an end to the thought such as, I'm in this room with with these people. Does this make me look good? Do I want to be here? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stopped thinking about myself, the freedom of self-forgetfulness, the blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings. True gospel humility means an ego that is not puffed up, but filled up with the Holy Spirit of God. This is totally unique. Are we talking of high self-esteem? No. Or low self-esteem? No. Because it's not about me. It's not about me. 
A truly gospel-humble person is not a self-hating person or a self-loving person, but a gospel-focused person. A truly gospel-humble person is a self-forgetful person whose ego is just like his or her toes. They work. They just work. They don't draw attention to themselves. They just work. The ego just works. Neither draw attention to itself. This is so revolutionary, particularly for those whose love language is affirmation, like me. I've been on a journey, a journey of discovering that it's not about me, that actually it doesn't matter what other people think about me. It doesn't matter what you say about this sermon. I don't care. It's about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all for his glory. It's all for his honor. It's all for his praise. We live for his glory. We live for his honor. We live for his praise. I don't care if you like what I say or you don't like what I say. It's about him. It's about Jesus. There is freedom here. Freedom if we can truly walk in the shadow of the cross, knowing who we are in Christ, forgiven, loved, accepted, secure. And as we walk in the shadow of the cross, we learn to love sacrificially. Now, for those of you who are worrying, the W-A-L is going to be followed by E and S. (coughs) This is about walking, okay? It's a clue. When we walk in the shadow of the cross, we love sacrificially. When we walk in an attitude of worship and we find the true freedom of who we are in Christ, then we can love sacrificially. Self-understanding should lead to self-giving. The cross consistently calls us to be a people, a community of self-giving love, expressed in the worship of God and the service of others. The rich young lawyer came to Jesus and said, how shall I inherit eternal life? said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I've been privileged over the years to meet many people in my work with Samaritan's Purse who are doing that every day. People who are giving themselves every day to people living in refugee camps, to people living on the edge of destruction, to the poorest people on the planet. People like Dr. Attar. Here in Mabon County, we're, we're very close to what is an active conflict zone, a place where people are fighting. There's a lot of aerial bombardment and ground fighting that's happening. Because of that, tens of thousands of people are flooding into this area, almost 200,000 people. And of this entire area, there's only one hospital run by Samaritan's Purse. There's only one place where all of this community can go when they need physical assistance with medical conditions. And there's one guy, his name's Dr. Attar, and he's here serving all of those people to provide them help. We're the only surgical referral center in all of Mabon County. We're averaging somewhere between 20 to 30 surgeries every single week. So Dr. Attar, he may be in surgery, you know, five, six, even seven surgeries every single day. I'm the only surgeon here who is really doing these surgeries, and they are coming from all directions. We are really overwhelmed with the situation that... uh, it's so difficult that we can't cope up. We have emergencies during the day, during the night, and we continue to work like 24 hours every day, seven days in a week. 
Dr. Attar is one of the greatest men I've ever met and ever had the privilege to work with. Dr. Attar was working with Samaritan's Purse in Blue Nile State, which is now the Republic of North Sudan. When the fighting happened, all the expatriate staff, we were evacuated for our safety. But Dr. Attar decided to stay behind. He's South Sudanese, those were his people. He felt like he couldn't leave in the time of war and the time of fighting. The government forces came in and destroyed the town. We didn't know whether he was alive or dead. About three weeks later, we get a phone call from him. He tells us that he's safe, and he's now in Maban, Upper Nile, where we are now. When Samaritan's Purse arrived in Maban, we had no place to work. There was a hospital structure that was built but had never been used. There were 15 beds, but really no staff, no medicines. Samaritan's Purse came in, and we built new buildings. We built a new ward. We built a surgical theater. Then we started actually working to change it from the primary health care center into a hospital. Up to this moment, we are still trying to adjust with so many things. The hospital caseload is massive on a daily basis. Today we have over 100 patients, inpatients, but our capacity is 60 beds. If we squeeze, it will go up to 70, but now we have more than 100. One of the great things about Dr. Attar as well is the fact that he is South Sudanese. All of the refugees, all the South Sudanese love him. Even refugees from the camps that are far away, we find those patients will walk all the way to our hospital just because they want to see Attar. We apply the silver nitrate for the burns, so it's healing. And I think it's going to maintain the skin. Probably the greatest need we have in the hospital right now is just the need for more space, more, more facilities. One thing that we really need and really request is for the help of more doctors, especially surgeons, medical professionals, to come and assist the TAR, people that would be willing to commit for up to a year at a time to work with refugees and to provide medical services, provide surgical services. We look at the sea of humanity that comes in. We see individuals that we're serving here, people that are just like you and me. They have their families, they have their homes, they want to take care of their children. And a place like this, this kind of hospital, this is almost like a lifeline for them. A place where they can come to help meet their basic needs as people created in the image of God who are in need of the hand of hope that we are able to offer them in the name of Jesus. Medical practitioner for a quarter of a million people. Um, he does eight operations a day. Um, in surgery, so eight surgeries a day, um, every day of the week, seven days a week. As John Stott again says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life. He renounced the power and glory of heaven and humbled himself as a slave. He gave himself without reserve and without fear to the despised and neglected sections of the community. His obsession was the glory of God and the good of human beings who bear his image. To promote these, he was willing to endure even the shame of the cross. Now he calls us to follow him, not to seek great things for ourselves, but rather to see first God's rule and God's righteousness. And lastly, when we walk in the shadow of the cross, we see the kingdom come. 
as we worship by giving our lives sacrificially, as we become more aware of who we are in Christ, and as we give our lives in the service of others, then we see the kingdom come. We see God's rule and reign come in our lives and in our communities. We see transformation in people, in lives, in communities, in our church. We see God's kingdom come as people are healed and restored to a right relationship with God. We see God's kingdom come as the marginalized are included, as the deaf hear, and as the blind see. We see God's kingdom come as the poor are lifted up, as victims are supported, as drug addicts come off their addictions, as orphans are adopted, and as homeless people have shelter at night. We see God's kingdom come as abuse is tackled, as people pray, and as lonely people find community and captives find freedom. We see God's kingdom come as we take our rightful place as children of God, free from sin, practicing justice, practicing compassion, practicing humility, and practicing love. And all of this is because of the cross. All of this is because of Jesus. Without the cross, there is no reconciliation. Without the cross, there is no healing. There is no forgiveness. Without the cross, there is no grace. There is no mercy. Without the cross, there is no salvation. There is no kingdom. Without the cross, evil still triumphs. Without the cross, death is still the end. Without the cross, our future is indeterminable and there is no hope. We dare not tackle corruption without the cross. We dare not tackle abuse and addiction without the cross. We dare not go into Sudan or Afghanistan or the war in Syria without the cross. We dare not build our missional communities without the cross. We dare not walk through family breakdown, health problems, and societal breakdown without the cross. And so we walk in the shadow of the cross, because in the shadow of the cross, we see the fruit of the kingdom. In the shadow of the cross, we see holes being punched in the darkness. In the shadow of the cross, we see people reaching their full potential. In the shadow of the cross, we see life in all its fullness. In the shadow of the cross, we see victory over death. In the shadow of the cross, eternity comes into view. Hallelujah. And so we have seen that to walk in the shadow of the cross begins with worship. Worship that is sacrificial and costly. And our walk includes forgetting about ourselves and walking in the freedom of knowing who we are in Christ. And our walk leads to loving sacrificially so that the kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. Come see his hands and his feet, the scars that speak of sacrifice, hands that flung stars into space, to cruel nails surrendered. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. So let us learn how to serve.